This is a show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve him and their neighbor, for whom the words of the creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is a show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. There's a cartoon panel uh, that I've seen a number of times. Perhaps you've seen it. The, the picture is of a man sitting at a computer screen. And from the other room, his spouse calls out and says, Honey, it's time for bed. To which he replies, But someone is wrong on the internet. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever felt that. Uh, I know that there have been times that I have felt that quite deeply. Uh, and it really in a particular way when I first came into the Catholic Church, because I'd spent 10 years really kind of wrestling with the questions that I had about Catholicism as they came up and got to a place over the course of those 10 years where I felt confident that, yes, I can I can say at confirmation, uh, I believe and profess all that the Holy Catholic Church teaches, proclaims, and believes to be revealed by God. Something something along those lines. That's a, a rough um, paraphrase. And I knew that I got myself to that place where I could say that. And I just, I guess, assumed that everyone else would kind of be there too, right? And so uh, here I am having conversations with people that I've known for a number of years, many of those conversations happening online. And... Um, the answers that satisfied me did not satisfy those people to whom I was speaking. And they sometimes would be quite challenging. And sometimes they would push my buttons because they'd known me long enough to know what would, what would frustrate me and think that they could pull one over on me or, or ask me a question that that was really difficult. And so I would go and I would pour over the catechism and I would scour uh, all of these different sources so that I could come up with a really robust and complete answer so that I could show them, right? Uh, it wasn't necessarily always about uh, bringing them to a place of understanding as much as it was proving that I maybe, maybe proving that I hadn't made a mistake, right? Proving that I was uh, well studied and I knew what I was talking about and and so it became just very combative it, to the point where, you know, I was part of some internet groups um, and these conversations, I would spend hours on these conversations, uh, researching and studying and uh, copying and pasting and retyping to the point where that, I mean, that comic could have been drawn by my wife, right? She was ready for those conversations to come to an end. Uh, and I don't recall precisely when uh, or what event it was that really made a difference in me, but there was this realization that I was getting worked up about things that I really didn't have control over. And for me, it at that point was not about um, not about showing a person what I had come to find. It was proving how smart I was. And, uh, and, I, and I'm not that smart. <laughs> so, so somewhere along the line, God gave me the, the perspective uh, to be able to say, you know what, I know myself and I know that if I enter into this conversation, uh, I'm going to be in this conversation for a very long time and I have other priorities. This, this is not as important as my gut reaction wants to convince me that it is. And it's perfectly acceptable 
for me not to answer this question right this instant. It might be that sometime later or sometime maybe even in, in the near future, I can give it a little bit of time, but right now I'm going to give it nothing, no amount of time whatsoever, because it's okay for people on the internet to disagree with me. I bring that up because I think we all are witnessing this increasing polarization that's occurring in our discourse. Everyone has a camp, and it seems like now there's not necessarily thoughtful discussion going on as much as we have dug our trenches, uh, we have occupied our side, and we are lobbying our arguments at one another. And so really, what we see lobbed back and forth are very often caricature and talking points. And this happens in a number of different places. It happens in uh, the political discourse. It happens in theological discourse. It happens in liturgical discourse. It happens just about any opinion that there is to have. We find ourselves kind of birds of a feather flocking together and making our tribe and finding the other tribes that disagree with us so that we can go out and have uh, an argument. But these arguments aren't true arguments. They're just, again, throwing these talking points back and forth at one another uh, and changing no one's mind. Now, uh, I'm coming at this now from a perspective of evangelization. Because when we come into a, a conversation whether it be about apologetics, whether it be about politics, whether it be anything under the sun, if our goal is uh, to live uh, ourselves a holy life and to draw other people into uh, a relationship with Jesus, then we can't start with what we disagree on. If we're coming into a place where we want to, uh, to share our faith with others, we have to start from the place of commonality. We have to start with a place of let's see where we can agree and then begin to build on that. And I don't see that very much these days. Uh, I think what's immediately drawing this to mind is the discourse even around uh, the, the leak in the Supreme Court around the topic of Roe versus Wade. When it first came out, of course, it was everybody's news. Everyone has been talking about it pretty much nonstop, even on social media. And um, I didn't address it the first week because I figured we all wanted a break, right? There, everyone's going to be talking about it. We don't need to talk about it here. And we're not going to talk about it this week either, but we're going to uh, touch some issues around it. Next week, we're going to have a show uh, on the topic. We're going to bring in someone who knows quite a bit about it. And we're going to approach it again from using this week as a starting point. Uh, where we are going to go this week is the question of what do we owe to one another in disagreement? And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be approaching this question from a couple of different perspectives, a couple of different vantage points. Uh, but as we start the conversation this week, and I was thinking about what conversation to have, I realized that we've already had this conversation and it's a conversation worth repeating. So I went back and I dug through the archives and found this conversation that I had back July 27th, 2019, 
with Joe Heschmeyer. And the question is, what do we owe to one another uh, in disagreement, not only to those who who we share our Catholicism with, because we certainly have disagreement sometimes with others who are Catholic, but also what do we what do we owe to those who uh, we disagree with who are non-Catholic Christians, and even more so, what do we owe to those whom we disagree with who are not Christian at all and don't share any of our belief or our values? right? We still owe something to one another by virtue of the fact that we are human, made in the image of God, uh, endowed by our Creator with incomparable dignity. And so let's go back. We're going to listen to this conversation that we had back again, July 27th, 2019 with Joe Heschmeyer. At the time, he worked with Holy Family School of Faith in Kansas City. That organization still does fantastic work, but now he works with Catholic Answers, catholic.com. He still blogs over at his blog, shamelesspopery.com. Uh, and he's written a number of books, including The Early Church Was the Catholic Church, uh, Pope Peter, Defending the Church's Most Distinctive Doctrine, Who Am I, Lord, Finding Your Identity in Christ, and A Man Named Joseph, A Guardian for Our Time. Let's go ahead now and listen to that conversation we had with Joe back in 2019. Joe, it's great to have you on the show today. Oh, my pleasure. Always a pleasure to be on. So we were we were talking before we started. I, I have followed you on Facebook. I've followed your blog for a long time. Uh, and recently, you you have had a couple of interactions that, that brought to mind just really the way that we interact and the uh, the way that we should interact in our disagreements and our discussions online. Uh, there are very few shining lights in the way of internet uh, combox conversations. And you and Deacon Stephen Gradanus and probably Bishop Robert Barron are probably about equal among the top uh, top tier of the appropriate way uh, to handle a disagreement specifically online. Uh, and so, you know, I'm, I'm flattered to be in that, uh, esteemed company. I'm not sure I deserve the accolades, but I definitely try. I mean, I definitely try to, uh, engage in a com box as a Christian. So I'm, I'm sitting here and watching this very contentious, uh, argument play out on your wall. Uh, and, and you keep trying to narrow the, the, um, the topic and say, well, can we, can we look at this and can we at least agree on this point and trying to clarify and narrow it down. And in the midst of this, I'm doing show prep and I come across today's scripture that we're going to uh, dig into a little bit more later of the parable of the wheat and the tares, where Jesus tells this parable of uh, a, a wise man. He, he seeded his field and the wheat was growing, but an enemy came and uh, also planted weeds among everything. And and the, um, the servants came and said, oh, no, what are we going to do? Should we pull up all the weeds? And uh, very to the surprise of everyone, he said, no, leave the weeds where they are, because if you pull up the weeds right now, you might, the, the roots might be entangled with the good seed, or you might mistake a weed, a, a good plant for a weed and pull it unnecessarily. And as I looked at that and I looked at the discussion and how you were handling it, I couldn't help but think of all of the times where we just see something popping up that we don't like, and we reach down and we determine that it's a weed and we're determined to pull it up. And I wonder how many times in our online discussion we end up doing damage 
uh, to another person who could otherwise grow and bear fruit? Yeah, you know, I think that's the right question to ask, because I think it's not just that there are um, ideas that we mislabel as as weeds when they're actually wheat. But more importantly, I mean, the primary referent in Matthew 13 there is that there are people, like there are people who might seem to are very fallible, very subjective, very influenceable, if that's a word, uh, perception as, oh, yeah, that person is a horrible person. They're going to hell, da, 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 da. And we don't know the full story. We don't know kind of the journey that they're on. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the cool things doing, you know, what I do, I, I work for a group called Holy Family School of Faith. And we do a lot of stuff with people uh, meeting one-on-one to kind of form them uh, to grow deeper in their relationship with Jesus and in intentional friendships with others and to empower others to do the same. That's kind of the charism of of what we do. But it means that I get to see people uh, sometimes in a different way than you would just see from the outside or just kind of like the generic public persona. And it's a good reminder to me that like, there's often like so much more going on uh, beneath the surface. To give just one example, this is actually uh, an internet uh, example. There was a guy who uh, I used to go back and forth with a little bit uh, on my blog, and he was an atheist, and he started out a little hostile, but he was asking some good questions, so I tried to treat him as charitably as I could. Uh, and then one day he he emailed me out of the blue and said, uh, it seems like you're praying for me, and I think it might be working. And he kind of shared like his his desire for the Eucharist. And and he never was public about it. And in fact, I don't really know very well what happened to him after that. I tried to follow up some, uh, but I think he still considers himself an atheist, or at least considers himself enough of an atheist that he presents that way online. But sometimes people, when they have those kind of, uh, even the seemingly brash, arrogant, bombastic kind of comments, sometimes those are really... Uh, ways of asking a question when you don't feel safe enough to be vulnerable enough to ask it as a question. I would say very often when we see the bombastic nature, it's, it's that uh, protection saying, well, uh, I, maybe I don't feel completely competent in this, uh, in this answer. Maybe I'm not completely prepared. So I'm going to kind of push a little bit harder and go over the top. Uh, and, and not only is that true in, uh, the other people that we're talking to, but very often, and I think we should recognize it in ourselves, uh, we have a greater capacity to lash out at someone when we don't feel uh, secure enough uh, in our maybe in our argument, maybe in our ability to uh, convey that. Maybe we're frustrated, but we lash out when we feel like we're on unstable ground uh, and need a little bit of an upper hand. Absolutely. Like this is, I think seeing it in other people, being able to read behind the scenes, what's probably going on if they're acting like this, that's a good way to realize like, wait, when I'm acting like this, what's going on behind the scenes for me? And do I really want to uh, hold myself up to that same scrutiny? Mm -hmm. Because yeah, I think that typically uh, when people flip out uh, for Jesus, when they, you know, are jerks to present the Catholic case, uh, it often suggests, at least to an outside observer, that either they don't feel like they know it well enough to have uh, a good discussion, so they'll, you know, they'll kind of shut down the conversation, or they just maybe aren't trusting God enough in the situation. 
Now, I mean, even speaking for myself, when I try to do it on my own, uh, that's when my fuse can be a lot shorter and, and it is a lot scarier. Like if it all comes down to me, I'm not ready for that. I have no idea what questions the person might ask next, but if I'm entrusting it to God, well, that's a different story. I can, I can kind of breathe and hopefully the answers that I give will be, uh, a lot calmer and a lot more rational than if I were in a panicky mode of kind of operating out of a place of fear. We, we often think that uh, the whole argument, uh, the whole interaction with this person depends on us in this moment, uh, and we don't take a long view of it. So going back to this metaphor of, of a seed that's being planted, uh, Paul talks about, well, one person plants and another person waters and another person harvests, but God's the one who brings the increase. And, you know, I, in my Protestant days, I saw this as well, this idea that I have to completely convert this person in this moment because if they don't pray that prayer before I'm done, oh my goodness, what's going to happen to them? Uh, and we see that play out in our discussions, uh, whatever the topic, whether it be political or religious uh, or, or based on, you know, whatever it is that that gives us uh, passion. Man, I have to complete this and and completely convince them right now or it's never going to happen. And that, I think, is just really short-sighted and a little bit of a, a foolish view. Yeah, absolutely. So I think a good distinction to make... Um, St. Paul talks about how our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. And so if we recognize that this isn't like me fighting you on this topic, but like me contributing, planting a seed or watering a seed or something else that's much bigger than me, that's not really about me versus you. But if you want to put it this way, God versus the devil for your soul, or you know what I mean? Like for both of our souls. Uh, then we have a totally different kind of standard to judge everything by. And it doesn't matter if I don't get the, uh, the stats next to my name, you know, like it doesn't matter if I get the RBI rather than the run or, or you know, like right. maybe you don't ever see the, for those the that don't know, that's that a, make. that's a baseball metaphor. Uh, you, you're, you're... Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yes. So my point is like, uh, I mean, if you want to make like a hockey metaphor, no, like, you know, like there's all sorts of ways that you can, uh, you can enable someone or assist them and you provide something along the way that maybe you don't even see the results of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm always struck when you talk to people about their conversion story, here's a good thing to keep in the back of your mind. Like when they tell you about the people who were tremendously influential for them, like years before they actually converted, Just think like how many of those people even know, like how many of them even realize that they've made this big impact uh, in the lives of somebody else. Uh, A friend of mine is now, I believe, a priest in St. Louis. He used to be a teacher and he had a student who was just like awful in high school. Uh, And then they met years later and the student had had become pro-life and and through these like incredible circumstances, his wife had become pro-life. She actually died because she wouldn't have an abortion. Mm. I mean, it was like a crazy kind of wild situation. And he'd planted seeds on a kid that he'd basically internally given up on. Like he was convinced that I'm I'm having no effect on this kid. He's mouthing off to everything I say. He he doesn't believe this is the Catholic teaching at all, et cetera. And it was, it was an incredible seed that was planted. So, you know, you don't, you don't know what's a success or a failure until death. 
Well, and, and let's go just really quickly. I, I want to touch on this. Uh, not only do you not know about that person, but people around us who are connected, uh, they're watching us. And if, if we dismiss that person and we treat them uh, with, with rudeness or with, with hostility, not only have we lost them, but we've also lost the people who love them. Right, we're we're not just saying, oh, well, that guy was a jerk. Now they're saying, oh man, those Catholics, those people are jerks, and they don't care about us, and they only care about their belief. And the truth is, is that our belief is at the service uh, of the truth, and and the truth wants the person more than it wants us to be right in any given argument. Absolutely, uh, the thing you said about how like. We may not know that we're ambassadors for Christ, to use the, the phrase that St. Paul uses, mm-hmm. but we are, and we're either good or bad ambassadors. Um, I was struck by this because my wife and I live in the Midwest, but my wife is from California. And so when she tells people that like her mom is one of 17 kids and all of them are practicing Catholics and her and all of her siblings are practicing Catholic, like <laughs> it turns out a lot of people in the Midwest have very strong beliefs about what Californians are like uh, <laughs> that are not entirely accurate. And and then it's like, okay, so why do they have those beliefs? And it's like, okay, well, number one, the media, what do they right. see on TV? And number two, they probably met a handful of people from California that confirm the stereotype. Right. Well, now apply that to religion. What's the media saying about Catholicism? And you don't want to be the one or two people uh, confirming a negative stereotype. You'd want to be the person who, like my wife, Cause people would say, huh, I didn't know, you know, good people came from there. I didn't know. <laughs> how, how was this even possible? You know, I experienced the same thing when I moved out to, to Seattle, I had a very specific view of what it was going to be like in the Pacific Northwest. And I found it to be much, uh, you know, there, there's still some things that I would expect, but it's much less severe than the caricature that I'd built up in my mind based on, uh, the, the representation that had been presented to me. Yeah, I just imagine like Austin hipsters, but wet all the time. <laughs> That's not really all that far off. Uh, let's talk for just a moment about the question of charity. You see charity thrown around uh, in discussions when a person is offended. Well, that's not a very charitable thing to say. Uh, what they really mean is, um, I, don't, I didn't like uh, your conclusion there, uh, instead of really what charity is. So let's define charity uh, and then we'll move on from there. Yeah. So charity is desiring the good of the other. It is, um, Aquinas would say it's a form of friendship. It's like the maximal form of friendship. Um, and so you're desiring the other person's authentic good. Like if you think about it this way, everything you've ever done has been in pursuit of some kind of good. And uh, your good actions authentically found the good in that situation your bad actions either pursued, pursued something that, that looked good or seemed good or felt good but wasn't really good or else uh, chose a lower good over a higher good. That's like just moral theology in a nutshell. Right. And so charity is wanting for the other person uh, what God wants for them and what they, if they understood their own good, would want for themselves. So in that situation, we have, uh, it brings to mind the, the story of uh Nathan the prophet and David the king. And David the king, uh, Nathan the prophet held no punches. He went in and he told the king exactly what was what, uh, even though it was, you know, a little bit brash, but he did so in a way that 
was not interested so much in proving the king wrong and getting a zinger in, uh, but was really concerned with what's going to be the most effective means at bringing about restoration for this person. Yeah, what's so interesting about it, so Nathan has uh, even self-interest probably on the line. He's got to stand up to the king. So he has every desire to uh, present this as humbly and as charitably as he possibly can. And the result is it works. Uh, he, he presents this parable and David is outraged when he hears about the conduct of the man in the parable. And then Nathan's able to say, you are that man. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a few things going on there. Number one, like he's approaching with humility. Right. Number two, he's actually securing uh, David's conversion. Like David repents when he realizes that Nathan is right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but number three, he's, helping David find the answer rather than just telling him or like beating him over the head with what he thinks the answer is. Mm -hmm. You know, I I look at this in the light of the rule of St. Benedict. It's something that my family reads over and over and St. Benedict kind of just beats uh, the, the, the dead horse saying you have to be humble. You have to consider yourself nothing. And you kind of look at this and go, well, that doesn't really fit really well in today's society. I mean, if I were to just go around thinking that I'm nothing, how is that different than depression or, 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 you know, what is this supposed to be? And eventually he gets to the place with once you realize that, that you yourself have nothing to be proud of, then within you, the Holy Spirit can begin to work and you find your value in Christ. Yeah, I think it's so crucial whether we make evangelization or conversations about the faith about God or about us. Like who's in the driver's seat and whose honor and glory are we trying to secure? Right. Uh, Because we're either doing it for the glory of God or for the glory of us. And it's easy for both of those motives to creep in. But we got to keep a watch at the door for that self-love. Um, someone on Facebook recently made, I think, a very good point, which is that one of the ways you can see it in yourself is how upset you get uh, if you're insulted by the other person. So if the other person isn't being kind, if they're not being charitable even, uh, and they say something rude about you or they assume the worst, etc., cetera, uh, do you kind of get more upset about the loss of your own reputation than the loss of God's or the, the errors they have about God. Like those are good kind of uh, litmus tests, if you will, to just say like, okay, where am I on this? Cause it's right. really easy, very natural to, to let ego creep in and with it um, all sorts of kind of intruding, interfering emotions mm-hmm. and, and they block out humility and reliance on God. Today, we're revisiting a conversation we had with Joe Heschmeyer back on July 27th of 2019. You can find that original conversation over in our archives at OutsideTheWalls.com. Come be a part of this conversation again over on social media, Facebook.com slash StepOutsideTheWalls. On Twitter, the handle is at OutsideTheWalls. What do we owe to one another in conversation? Come and share your thoughts. I'd love to hear them. And don't go anywhere because there's much more to come right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL. Welcome back to Outside the Walls. 
where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, TL. Today, we are revisiting a conversation that we had with Joe Heschmeyer back on July 27th, 2019, looking at this question of what do we owe to one another uh, by virtue of our humanity? What kind of responsibility do we have to one another, even in disagreement and even in disagreement online? At the time of this discussion, Joe was uh, on staff at Holy Family School of Faith in Kansas City. Now, of course, he is a staff apologist over at Catholic Answers and continues to blog periodically at shamelesspopery.com. As we ended our last segment, we were talking about St. Benedict uh, and his rule as he talks about the ladder of humility. It's so easy for us to get offended uh, when someone says something that we disagree with. And St. Benedict encourages us toward that humility. And so we're going to pick up that conversation again right here. When we get offended online, we, no one can offend you unless you allow yourself to be offended. Uh, someone comes and says something rude about you on the internet. Well, if we're starting from a place of humility of realizing that any good that we have comes from God anyway, uh, we can look at them and say, you know, you're probably right about that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I'll be the first to say, I have not gotten there. Like, I have not uh, <laughs> purified myself of everything that we're talking about in terms of the residual ego, the desire for uh, kind of that self-preservation in an unhelpful way. Now, I mean, I should say this. Like, there is a a holy uh, desire to protect one's reputation. Right. So, you know, if, if someone's online accusing you of, like, unspeakable crimes— you're not called in charity to just stay mum and and let your name and, and the name of those around you be besmirched. You you can stand up in justice and defend your rights, just like you can defend your rights in justice to mm-hmm. anything else. Right. The issue is that with reputation, more than you know how much you're owed financially or any of these other things, there can be this kind of subjective element. And everyone is a great lawyer for themselves in their own mind. Uh, so we can overvalue the uh, the degree of honor owed to us in a way that that easily runs into into pride. Humility isn't about like pretending you're less than you really are. Like that's a false humility. Humility is ultimately uh, correlated with the truth. It's recognizing who we are, but who we are as creatures and who we are as fallen creatures. And if we see that lowliness and own it, not in a not in an unhealthy, like self-loathing way, but in a really liberating way, that it doesn't matter if you've made mistakes. It doesn't matter if like, though, you know, you had some grammatical error in your theological argument that your <laughs> opponent is only too happy to call out or, and that's okay. Like rejoice and be glad because your master was found worthy to, to suffer much worse. And if you get to follow even a tiny bit in his footsteps, uh, that's something that should be a cause for rejoicing. Yeah. You know, there's this uh, passage of Scripture where we're told, if someone is sinning in a way that doesn't lead to death, you you should hang back and pray for them, but don't get all up in their business, right? Uh, and, and there's this idea that we see something in someone else, and gosh, by golly, we want not their good, their eternal good. We want to call them on the carpet because it feels good to put someone in their place. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, I believe that you're describing a passage from James 4, James 5, where he has the distinction between mortal and venial sin. Right. And he talks about that sin that leads to death. So, yeah, there are times where 
the the appropriate response is not to uh, pick every nit. You know, like it, I think there's a few things to to recognize here. First, I mentioned like winning the person, not the argument. Mm-hmm. We can sometimes get obsessed with making sure that like the theology quiz is going to be an A plus and not like an A minus. Mm-hmm. But if you've got a person who is like, uh, basically, I'm just saying, figure out where the person is and help figure out like what might God be calling them to in that next step, or even better, help them see what step God might be calling them to. And don't freak out if they don't have all of the steps charted out or if they're still making some mistakes. You know, you, you do have to sort of know how to pick your battles. Right. Uh, and it's not condoning evil to not correct every fault in another person. Right. And, well, and so let's take Nathan, for example, again. Nathan, uh, the prophet, as he was talking to King David, uh, he did address the issue, right? He didn't just let that thing go because it was, it was important enough. Uh, but as, as James is telling us, let's take a look at what really does matter in this situation. Are they doing something that is putting their soul in jeopardy? And is now the appropriate time? Are they able, you know, if they're at square one, we shouldn't be talking about square five, uh, right? Are they in a place where they can receive what we have to say so that, that they can make progress? I had a, a friend of mine who, uh, when I was growing up, used to say, Rebuke without relationship breeds rebellion. So not only do th- is this an important enough topic to bring up, but am I the person from whom they're going to receive this discussion and this correction? Or should I spend time in prayer asking that God sends someone that they trust to be able to have this? Or should I take time to develop that relationship so that I can be the person to speak into their life? Yeah, those are really good questions. I just want to say those are really hard questions. Those are questions when you go to act, you're often not going to know whether you're doing the right thing on those questions. You're often not going to know, um, is this person asking this in good faith? Do I have enough of a relationship with them, et cetera? And so many things can play in to want to cloud your vision. You know, in a a concern about losing the relationship or the friendship, you know, especially with like a loved one where you say, well, I want them to still feel comfortable in my house. I don't want to cut off that whole relationship or that whole side of the family. All of those things can play in, in a way where we can easily fall into a spirit of fear. Um, And on the other side, you can have that desire to just like want to be right. And you have to somehow, and I think you can only do this with prayer. Somehow, shut those voices out long enough to hear where God is calling you mm-hmm. in the midst of all of the hazards, in the midst of all the fears that, that you're discerning. And uh, part of this is emotional intelligence, right? Being able to look at ourselves and know what our own preconceptions are, what our own weaknesses are, what our own biases are, uh, to be able to appropriately address those. But then also to have the emotional intelligence to say, what is behind this other person's belief behind their uh, their tone and their way of discourse, uh, what's behind maybe the um, the ferocity of their argument. Anytime we see a, a ferocious argument, we ought to just immediately say, you know, this isn't normal human behavior. And so either they're a jerk or they've either got woundedness or fear that's behind this, and then we should be able to speak in compassion to that person because of the fear or the woundedness, 
rather than taking up arms and, and perpetuating and making it worse. Yeah, I think that's a, a tremendous thing to recognize that it can also be just like one of the because often when a person is like that, they are agitated for whatever reason and they're looking for a fight. Mm-hmm. And so if you just go in and, and respond in kind, you're playing their games on their term. Um, you know, Malcolm Gladwell had a really interesting point in his book, David and Goliath. Uh, he makes the case that one of the reasons David went, now he's not, I think, trying to deny uh, the role of providence and all of this. But right. He says one of the reasons David wins is that he doesn't play by Goliath's rules. Goliath wants to have hand-to-hand combat and, you know, let the bigger guy win. And Goliath is going to win every time in that kind of fight. Mm-hmm. But instead, David uses uh, the, bullet, or the, the sling. And in that case, Goliath sizes a liability rather than an asset. Uh, interesting too that is they sat the the children of Israel the army of Israel sat and camped for a significant amount of time in abject fear so that God had to call out and bring David to the fight but the truth of the matter is is if the army from the beginning had not accepted the terms that the Philistines had put on it he would never have been put in that place they if they had learned that lesson as an army before God had to teach them that lesson through a single child, uh, then they never would have had to deal with the fear in the meantime. Absolutely. But notice how quickly they forget the lesson and how quickly we forget the lesson. Like, it's easy to judge them because they (laughs) saw it and then forgot about it. But like, we read it, we heard it, we believe it, and we forget about it. Right. So it's not like, it's not like a one size uh, or one time solution where, hey, I'm never going to, overly rely on myself or fall into fear again. It's like, no, every day you kind of have to relearn that lesson. Mm -hmm. But it's important. It's important to recognize what is the other person doing? What are they kind of drawing me into? And what do I want this conversation to be like? Because really, like when you respond charitably to a person who's being a jerk, you're not some victim who's just like, oh, poor you. Uh, You don't get to be a jerk back to them. Like, no you're claiming for yourself and more importantly for God, uh, the kind of conversation that you want to have. You don't want it to be just two jerks fighting. That doesn't glorify God. It's not worth your time. Um, And in the same time, it's it's not even worth the other person's time. Like even if that's what they feel like they want, they're not actually going to be like, Hey, I'm really glad I did that. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, after they're done with it. And so there's, I think there's a few things to draw from that. One is get to know, again, get to know, get to see the person as much as you can. And that's hard, obviously, online. Um, but this is true in, in any medium, whether it's real life, whether it's uh, at work, whether it's online, whatever it is. Uh, but two, uh, you know, again, winning them is often helping them to see what is good for them. Uh, ben Franklin has a quote where he says, a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. In other words, like, if, if you try to force the truth on me, I'm really good at ignoring that, resisting it, deflecting it, and then demonizing you so I can ignore your message. Right. And if you've ever watched a Facebook debate, <laughs> lots of people are really good at this. Uh, and it just doesn't do any good. That kind of argument, uh, Dale Carnegie has a point uh, in... Uh, how to win friends and influence people, where he says nine times out of 10, the result of that kind of argument is that both sides come away more convinced than ever that they're absolutely right. 
mm-hmm. because they both just kind of like shouted their vision of the truth at the other person and then got all indignant and self-righteous when the other person didn't just graciously accept it, but responded in kind. Right. Uh, and so much better to respond charitably and help the other person uh, towards the right answer, just like you would help a, a child who is erring. I mean, to use this, this image of, of childhood again, like if a kid is is messing up a problem in class the teacher isn't just like no you dummy here's the right answer hopefully if you shouldn't be drawing your kids out of that school they're hopefully not doing that um but instead they they work with the kid they see like why are you making that error and how do we uh lead you into a better answer now hopefully they do it with grace and finesse and that's that's a learned skill but that's what we're called to do mm-hmm. yeah i i I look at these uh, these Facebook debates, and you know, there's a there's a difference. I think you can tell between the person who uh, they may just be overly attached, or they have some some wounding or some uh, fear, and they lash out. And then there's the person. Let's take it this way a little bit. There's the person who just has their pet project, and they know how to press your buttons. They're not necessarily um, angry or mean. They just want to goad you into where your woundings and your fears come out so that they can get uh, a point for their, for their side and their argument. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, one piece of a really good insight that I heard a while back is that these kind of conversations have largely taken the place of armed conflict and war. <laughs> like if you think about just the development of society, like verbal arguments have largely filled in a void that was left by like, grabbing your sword and attacking the guy or like dueling. Mm-hmm. And so we can sometimes fall into that. I, I would dare say, especially as men, we can often fall into that just point scoring warrior mode that doesn't do a lot to convert or convince the other person, but can really get the adrenaline going. And mm-hmm. I think that is rarely uh, a helpful thing to be tapping into. If you're authentically trying to seek the good of the other person just like you wouldn't dream that like, I think that person's wrong. I think the best way to convince them is to like go cut their arm off. Like, no, <laughs> probably this isn't the time and place for that like warrior response. Right. You know, lastly, as I'm, I'm looking at this scenario, um, I think of St. Thomas Aquinas and the way that he dispassionately argued. And we think, oh, dispassionate's bad. Uh, because you sh- you ought to have passion about your belief. Well, yeah, you should. You should have uh, passion about your faith. And yet, uh, his his dispassionate way of arguing uh, was probably one of the most effective that I've I've ever seen written out. Because he would start in charity with that other person's best argument. I uh, wouldn't make a straw man. He wouldn't get something easy to knock down. He would say, "Let me see if I understand you correctly." Uh, if I understand you correctly, this is what you believe. And then he would make the case oftentimes better than they could. And they'd say, yeah, exactly. And then that's what he would respond to and prove them because of his many years of study. And he was brilliant. Uh, he would show them the the truth of the matter in not in a na-na-na-boo-boo kind of way, but in a, hey, this is what I have found. And you're going to find this interesting. Yeah, Absolutely. So, you know, I think there's a couple things to be said there. The first is like, now imagine if instead of that, Aquinas had just argued against these ridiculous straw man, really bad arguments. 
he might have come away being like, I'm so smart. But none of us would be helped by that. None of us would be like, actually like, yeah, I can trust this argument. Because in the back of all of our minds, there'd be like, well, yeah, but I think there are better arguments out there that you're not answering. Mm -hmm. And so that's what it is too. Like when you go after like a silly form of the other person's argument, uh, that's not helping anybody. I mean, again, it it gives you like the warrior dopamine rush, but that's, that's all it does. Uh, And you can eat a chocolate bar for that. Um, When instead you listen to the other person and you know, a good standard that I was given by a priest friend of mine is that you should be able to present their argument to them in a way that they would recognize and agree to, that they would say, yes, that is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. And as Catholics, like we know uh, when someone says, hey, here's why it's wrong for you Catholics to worship Mary. We're just like, yeah, but you don't even know like what the conversation is about. Like you're not even ready right. to talk to me right now because you've, you've gone on this crazy crusade against a position that neither of us even hold. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so look, we know how ineffective it is, ineffective it is uh, when other people do it to us. So be able to say to them their position in a way that they would accept and recognize. And here's the thing. If you do that, if you show them generosity, they are so much more inclined to show you generosity to give you the benefit of the doubt. And to take seriously the response that you give to whatever they have to say. We've been revisiting a conversation today that we had with Joe Heschmeyer back in July of 2019, looking at this question of what do we owe to one another uh, just in light of our human dignity. But I think even more than that, if we truly are engaging in a disagreement, it should be for the purpose of understanding and being understood. And we do that through, as Joe is talking about here, through active listening, through really engaging with what the person is saying and not just retreating to our, uh, our camps and our trenches with our, uh, the, the, the prepackaged statements that tend to get thrown back and forth and back and forth. If you missed any part of this conversation or you want to share it with your friends on social media, all of our episodes are archived over on Outside the Walls. This one, of course, is archived twice because we have today's episode, but we also have that first one all the way back July 27th of 2019. You can get to them there at OutsideTheWalls.com. Now, each and every week I talk to you about our Patreon segments, those extra segments. There is an extra segment coming this week, but the episode we just now rebroadcast was rebroadcast with its extra segment. So this uh, this conversation is actually longer here on air than the first time that we aired it back in July of 2019. I encourage you, go over while you're there at OutsideTheWalls.com, looking at the archives, click that Patreon link up in the navigation bar, take a look at what it is that we offer to all of those who help keep us on the air, our Patreon support community. Uh, we are so grateful for them, and in gratitude, we give them extra questions each and every week with our guest. Uh, I encourage you to go take a look and see if that might be something you'd want to be a part of. Now, let's go ahead and turn our attention to our readings from Scripture and church history. That's the sound of our Verbum Library launching up. Verbum helps you read Scripture in light of church teaching, putting the magisterium at your fingertips by linking Scripture to the catechism, to the fathers and doctors of the church, uh, ecclesial documents, biblical commentaries, and so much more. You can learn more over at Verbum.com. Our reading from Scripture today comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 14. Jesus said to his disciples, Peace I leave with you. 
My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled or afraid. You heard me tell you I'm going away and I will come back to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you this before this happens, so that when it happens, you may believe. I will no longer speak much with you, for the ruler of the world is coming. He has no power over me, but the world must know that I love the Father, and that I do just as the Father has commanded me. That reading comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 14. This is around the time of the Last Supper, as Jesus is preparing to enter into his passion, his suffering, his death, and his resurrection. And he's giving his disciples some last words. And last words are important. And what he says to them in these last words is, Peace be with you. I give you my peace, not as the world gives. So don't let your hearts be troubled or afraid. That's it. Don't let your hearts be troubled or afraid when everything looks like you should be freaking out. Don't let your hearts be troubled or afraid. Peace I leave you. And he makes it very clear that this is not peace as the world gives, which is the absence of conflict. Rather, he gives his peace, the peace that he has as he's going to his passion, this peace and knowing that God is in control. I don't have to be the determiner of the outcome of the things that are around me that I can't control. Rather, I can trust that God is going to fulfill his purposes in the world, and I don't have to freak out about it. Peace be with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give. Do not let your hearts be troubled or afraid. Let us hear those words today and let them sink in and help us as we face things that are beyond our control. Our reading from church history today comes from St. Francis, from a letter of St. Francis of Paola. And he takes us even a step further as we seek out this peace. May our Lord Jesus Christ, a most generous giver, reward you for your labor. Avoid evil. Cast danger aside. Though we are unworthy, we and your brothers never cease to pray to God the Father and to his Son, Jesus Christ, and also to the Virgin Mary, that you may receive everything you need for your spiritual and physical well-being. I earnestly admonish you, therefore, my brothers, to look after your spiritual well-being with judicious concern. Death is certain. Life is short and vanishes like smoke. Fix your minds then on the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ. Inflamed with love for us, he came down from heaven to redeem us. For our sake he endured every torment of body and soul and shrank from no bodily pain. He himself gave us an example of perfect patience and love. We then are to be patient in adversity. Put aside your hatred and animosity. Take pains to refrain from sharp words. If they escape your lips, do not be ashamed to let your lips produce the remedy since they have caused the wounds. Pardon one another so that later on you will not remember the injury. 
The recollection of an injury is itself wrong. It adds to our anger, nurtures our sin, and hates what is good. It is a rusty arrow and poison for the soul. It puts all virtue to flight. It is like a worm in the mind. It confuses our speech and tears to shreds our petitions to God. It is foreign to charity. It remains planted in the soul like a nail. It is a wickedness that never sleeps, sin that never fails. It is indeed a daily death. Be peace-loving. Peace is a precious treasure to be sought with great zeal. You are well aware that our sins arouse God's anger. You must change your life, therefore, so that God in his mercy will pardon you. What we conceal from men is known to God. Be converted then with a sincere heart. Live your life that you may receive the blessing of the Lord. Then the peace of God our Father will be with you always. That reading again comes from a letter by St. Francis of Paola, and these readings from church history can be very challenging to us because the fathers and the doctors and the saints, they weren't playing around. With all of the leisure that we have available to us in this life, it's easy to forget that that life that we have is a short life. And here, St. Francis of Paola tells us, I earnestly admonish you, therefore, look after your spiritual well-being with judicious concern, because death is certain, life is short, and vanishes like smoke. Seek first that peace that God offers to us. And I think that this also kind of ties in with what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything else. Of course, Jesus here is talking about food and clothing and and needs of the body. Uh, All of these other things will be added to you, right? Don't seek after the satisfaction of those desires. Rather, seek after the kingdom and the satisfaction will come. And I think the same is true here in the spirit. Don't seek the satisfaction of having the right argument, of, of being well thought of. Rather, seek first the kingdom. And what is the kingdom other than willing the good of the other, right? Going out and pursuing peace. That's my prayer for us this week is that as the, the turmoil of the world rolls around us, that we would be able to have an eternal perspective, that we would seek first the kingdom of God, and that we would mirror for everyone around us, that they would see in us the love and the compassion and the kindness of God the Father. That's all the time we have this week. Today's show was brought to you by Carrie Carlson and all those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that Patreon link, and join their numbers And until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.